Oh, oh, TC. Hey, oh, that's, that's cool. cool. You got a podcast? Well, I, didn't I didn't know that. Know that. That's cool. Now you do. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back. Oh, that's cool. OTC's very own podcast with yours truly. I'm Jared Durden, and with me, as always, is Andrew Crocker of the Political Science Department. You look at the campus in front of you, sir. Does it feel more campusy now that it looks like there? We've had a we've had the cemented plaza for a while, but now we're starting to add furniture. Looks like we got a few, few stuff coming out of the ground. It's what do you think? Beautiful. And the best part is seeing all the students now back on campus and really filling things up, uh, uh, both. Visually and and uh, auditorily, I like just hearing the conversations and the buzz going on. Very early in the process, I was fortunate enough to sit in on some meetings about what student concerns were and what they wanted to do with it. And we kept hearing all these different ideas because it was a brainstorming session. The idea that isn't going to happen, but I kind of love the idea of hammock poles. I really love the idea of people setting up hammock, of there being hammock poles that you can hitch a hammock to on campus. Every college campus has hammocks. So every college campus has hammocks. I mean, when you have the grassy knolls, yeah. they typically have the, the the students that can attach their hammocks to it. What was your call? You went to where? Uh, I went to Drury here locally for bachelor's, and then I went to Florida International University in Miami. Now, and they didn't have hammocks, and you'd figure a beach. You you would figure a beach, yes. But they, to be to be fair, when I first got the offer, for, I was like, oh great, I'll I'll you know be able to hang out at the beach. I didn't see the beach once, yeah. almost the entire time. <laughs> it was actually kind of inland, um, in in a neighborhood, in, in kind of an in town neighborhood. So. Uh, but still, uh, I don't know if I would be okay with hammocks because I am pretty sure uh, naps would end up making me late for classes. <laughs> so I think one of the primary concerns, and again, this was just brainstorming, was liability concerns of people falling out of a hammock or something. But uh, uh, I don't know. I always figured it was buyer beware with a hammock. I never know the, the legal ins and outs. But, they, <laughs> but, but they, you do know what they are setting up out soon. They're going to set up fire pits. Yeah, they will have fire pits. Yeah. So the question then becomes, and everybody listening, tracking us on social media, please comment and let us know your bets for who will be the first faculty member to fall against the fire pit because they were hanging out on their phone too long. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I don't have bad odds there. I think that could very well happen yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, so at, and, and with the fire pits, it's obviously they're, they're just they're not always on. Are they something they turn on? Are they? Uh, do, do you know much about how their setup looks? I don't yet. I, I assume they will be lidded. I assume they'll have a, you know, a crate over it or something to Maybe keep people from... Maybe we need to find someone to interview about fire pits. For fire a, pits? A podcast I episode. would do a fire pit episode. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, first class to do s'mores. First one of you to do s'mores, report to us immediately because we want to be a part of that. We'll, we'll do hands-on interview for that one. <laughs> Absolutely. We have an exciting one today, too. Um, I've been looking forward to this one for a while um, because we're going to do something really cool with it that we'll talk about at the end. Um, but first, we need to kind of get into it. Um, we're going to talk about NFTs today, um, which uh, arguably are, are something to really look forward to in the, in the future um, as, as a big part of our future um, and we definitely need to get into it, though. A lot of people may not have heard about them yet, or if they have heard about them, it's been very limited. But it's a non-fungible token, and to talk about that, uh, we've brought in Grayson Forsey, uh, who uh, I would like to uh, uh, to welcome to the podcast. Grayson, what's going on, everybody? I'm doing great today. How's how's you guys? Fantastic. Welcome, Grayson. What's your position? How would, what is your title? So my title is I am an IT support analyst tier two. What that means is I plug the things in. So if you need you plug the things in, if you plug, if you need something plugged in, give me a call. I will get it plugged Which in. Which is a drastic underselling. If I would not have survived this first summer of COVID, where I had to come back and teach uh, via Zoom to forty students, and I had never used the equipment before, and Grayson was there almost every day, making sure everything worked. Not to mention any time I've ever had any kind of uh, uh, issue with. Um, Anything related to, to technical or just had a cool idea that I wanted to try out, I usually end up with you on the other end of the phone, and it always seems to get done. Right. Quick like, turnaround. I like supporting people's ideas because that's I, – I really like brainstorming, troubleshooting, that type of thing. So then when I hear someone's idea and then trying to find out how to make it a possibility. And you, are, you also happen to be 
um, your other job title in life is husband to Chelsea 4C. Absolutely. That uh, is. A very distinguished navigator here at OTC. Absolutely. And she helps students, I guess the phrase would be she would help them navigate their education. How would you describe it? So honestly, the navigator is a great title for it because it's, she navigates all over campus, whether it be financial aid, student accounts, student services, finding things on campus, getting connected to community resources. It's really a one-stop shop for how to navigate higher education period. Yeah, and you know, when Dr. McGrady was making the pitch to many faculty, the emphasis that she had talked about a lot was it's really important for our students to make sure that every door is the right door. So a student can walk through any door theoretically and either get an answer to it or at least be directed to where they can answer. 100%. But then you have the Chelsea's at the campus who is like, I don't know, the revolving door. She Absolutely. can answer everything. She's the key master. <laughs> I like that a lot. Right. Yes. I, I know your references. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank we've, we have, uh, we've gotten lost in metaphors before on this class. Right, so right, right. please do the best you can to hew well, us in. Buckle up. There'll be many metaphors. coming up. <laughs> Good. Yes. No, I do love the no wrong door policy. One thing that I tell new students coming to campus, because I work in the IT service center quite a bit. So a lot of law students show up. Um, go ask one of the custodians where something is. They know everything on campus and they are very friendly people and they'll, they're excellent at finding where those things are. They might not have the answer, but they know probably who does. And you've also helped um, Politically Active before, which is a club that I co-sponsor. Yep. We have co-hosted an event together. Mm-hmm. You on behalf of? Uh, the Student African American Brotherhood. Yeah. Uh, that is a, a group that I advise. Uh, we're actually looking to grow that group this coming semester. So if you have any interested members or interested in getting involved, contact me and I'll get you routed to the right people. It's a good time for that group, too, because the national headquarters, I think, relocated. This right. Yeah. Field. They just over over the summer, they moved down to Park Central Square. They're in a, the Missouri State Alumni Center. Mm-hmm. So they got their offices just right across the road. Like, it's, it's great to go see them. Uh, they had a like a meet and greet event this last weekend, just kind of getting everybody now that everybody's back on campus just talking, getting everybody connected. I think it's pretty obvious why I would be involved with Politically Active, but why have you chosen to get involved with the stu- uh, I'm sorry, Student African American Brotherhood? Right. So it, it falls under two umbrellas. It's Student African American Brotherhood, but it also goes by the moniker Brother to Brother, just depending on... That's right. Yes, the, I've heard that. Depending on the demographics of the location. So we were previously under the Brother to Brother umbrella. Uh, we have had a big rebranding just nationwide. Uh, so we're trying to stick to the student African-American brother just because of the whole marketing thing. You don't want a, two different names to market the same thing. Uh, one reason why I got, got involved is I love just students. Students are what makes the world go around and any way that I can support them, get them involved in campus at large or even the community. I'm big in Springfield community and growing that. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved. Uh, I also got an email one day and someone said, hey, would you like to be involved with this? And I said, yes. So that's the, <laughs> the I really take pretty seriously those other duties as described. Other duties as point, described. Right, yeah, right, right. So that's an other duty as described. Yeah, and, we had, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I can't stop talking about it. I'll do my last question on that. Yeah. Well, last comment, I guess, mm-hmm. was we hosted a joint uh, meeting yeah. on at the time at the very heat in the very middle of Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. I just wanted to thank you for doing such a great job. No problem. Very difficult subject, but you handled it so diplomatically. It was awesome. So that's one thing that I feel is important about my role as the advisor, Uh, because if I can speak honestly about race and these very complex, upsetting topics, I think that everybody can. So it's, it's making yourself uncomfortable, putting yourself in that awkward position of saying, this is what this is the world that I see. Is it wrong? Is it right? Talking, having that conversation and kind of realizing the truth is somewhere there in the middle and it's just about finding it. <laughs> you need a job in PR, man. You're too good at this. <laughs> uh, well, the working on phones, I get a call from a customer. They're upset because their thing's not working. It's all about diplomacy. Absolutely. And that, you know, has to get challenging and heated at times. Oh, and that's the, so um, I'm a big fan of Socrates. The, his principle of the first thing that I know is I know nothing. That's exactly how I operate. Someone calls, hey, this thing's breaking. So I can come from the assumption of, well, you're probably just using it wrong. But probably not. There's probably some weird little thing happening. There's a misunderstanding somewhere. It could be a system issue. It could be with the user's misunderstanding. And it's, again, finding where that truth lies. 
Excellent. I did not have Socrates on my podcast bingo card here. I did not have mention of Socrates on that for NFTs today. You don't have a quote ready? Not for no, not for Socrates. Uh, Heck, we no. are what we do repeatedly. Greatness is not an act; it is a habit. Oh, I like my that. favorite Socrates quote. That's you, fantastic. I, I put that on my syllabi actually at the very very top of all. Another courses. thing that I greatly admire about Socrates is his refusal to write anything down. <laughs> so, so, someone else will do it. Fair enough. So uh, let's add to that list because uh, your involvement in the college uh, it goes uh, even farther. And recently you have won a, uh, a grant from uh, – yeah. tell us a little bit about so that. So I won a Game Changer grant here recently. It was a $10,000 grant to redesign our open computer lab. Uh, my original proposal, it was to implement some VR technology. I'd like to get right around like five different headsets uh, so one, five gives us the ability to have multiple users. We can interact in one virtual environment. Like imagine how cool it would be to like walk around some type of like physics structure, like the the structure of an atom, being able to see that in real time, oh, navigate, of that. navigate around it. Uh, data visualization is pretty incredible with virtual reality. Even like our complete data nerds out there that look in graphs and numbers all day long, imagine having that mapped out for you that you could walk through and navigate and having all these different parceled pieces of data around that you can see. So the possibilities are endless. Right now I'm trying to set up those free type events. Like there's a really cool one uh, called Exploring Mona Lisa. So you can see the Mona Lisa right in front of you, but then it also navigates through the historical context, what it looked like when it was originally painted, uh, the different uh, remastering, if you will, that's such a digital term. Uh, uh, restoration, that's the, the physical term. Uh, so all the different restorations that they've done and how it's changed over time. And then also being able to walk behind it, see what the frame looks like, all of those little elements that you wouldn't get to have that if you went to the Louvre. You I, would not. No. You would not. This is this is such a great idea. I mean, you know, our very first podcast, we had Jennifer Bump with us, a history instructor mm-hmm. and geography instructor, yeah. and she has used VR in her class to help walk students through parts of the world that they may Absolutely. have never even thought Absolutely. to visit. There's like mentioning the Louvre, they actually have a great VR tour. So you don't have to fly over to Paris and spend all of the money. You can have a virtual experience. There may be something said about that in-person experience is going to be different than your virtual experience. Uh, But later when we get into the NFTs, there's this idea of the, the certified object is what has all the value. But at the end of the day, you just want to look at the thing. So you don't need to see the actual physical thing. You just want that experience. Um, So I think that's one thing that VR does a really great job at. Um, I've also seen some really great like VR classrooms where it's just like a regular lecture classroom that then you can bring in different 3D models. So exploring space, different uh, like astronomical units, being able to see that type of space division, very, very beneficial. Yeah, I, I have been shocked myself looking at stuff like that mm-hmm. in a 2D way. Right. It would be 2D. 3D? What's, uh, so it's, VR would be 3D? It is. So it's... There's 3D graphics like on your laptop that yeah. exists. It's something that has three dimension. There, there's also 2D dra- graphics that are drawn in a way to make them look 3D. Uh, virtual reality is all going to be 3D. You could navigate all the way around the object and see all of it. Uh, so virtual reality is going to be 3D. You could maybe even say 4D because there is the audio portion, but I don't. That's not a real dimension. Fascinating. So. I, 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 we, we do have two in the physical sciences. I remember just a couple, I think it was a couple of years ago, the biology department brought in augmented reality. Yes. Uh, and we've got that really cool program that lets you look at uh, systems of the body and things mm-hmm. like that. And just to be able to expand that and have a space. Right. So to me, VR is just a placeholder for augmented reality. That's what is going to take over. It's just we need, we need the technology, the data, the know-how to get to augmented reality. Right now, there's great applications that you can use on your phone that just uses your camera to augment the reality re- around you. And that's honestly the way that I'm trying to make our VR lab accessible. Because if you can navigate it in a VR headset, you could also navigate it on a computer or on your phone. So that way, it doesn't restrict these experiences just to having to come to Springfield campus at OTC, book the time, come and sit down. So that way it opens up for anybody that has the ability to access a device. So I'm actually sitting across the table now from two different people who have gotten game changer grants okayed and greenlit. And I just, 
I uh, serve on a state board for the, for the MCCA. And so I talk to other instructors from other community colleges across the state. And when they hear me describe the Game Changer grants, mm-hmm. they're like the, a, a, a sprig explodes out of their brain. They, the Game Changer grants is such a dunk by OTC. Absolutely. One of these, because we can things that I, every single one that's been approved, I've thought, of course, that's right. absolutely going to make us a better college. Mm-hmm. So shout out to OTC and the folks that make that stuff possible. And the Everybody that doesn't have access to those types of purse strings are the ones that have incredible ideas. They have these amazing ideas that they talk about and want to be developed, but don't have an, a way to get them developed. So having Game Changer grants really provides a platform to people to develop they're harebrained ideas, and sometimes those are the best ones. And having applied a couple times and working with um, the, that process, uh, if you've got an idea out there, give it a shot. Absolutely. Send some stuff in. Look at, at how they help. They help you build the idea. Mm-hmm. They help you prepare the grant. Um, and uh, uh, there's just so many good ideas out there, like you said. That it, I, the best part about this Game Changer Grant plan is that I, I'm hoping it's starting to let people know that uh, uh, OTC is a place that that wants your ideas, right? That really helps Absolutely. to nourish and make everybody feel like you know they have something to contribute to the college, based on wherever you're coming from within the college, right? And kind of as again, we've just had the two game changers, but it's definitely developing to be a crucible for these ideas, where you can come and get them developed, work with multiple peoples around campus that might have a similar idea or have a similar problem that they need solved. Uh, and that's that is why collaboration is so great because you get all these different perspectives on an idea, and life is about yeah, perspective. You never really know how good your idea is until you're talking across the table from somebody and their eyes bug out. Um, Karen Griffin and I got a mini grant approved a couple years back because we were both sitting around. We were like, "What would be a really good speaker for such and such subject?" I think we were thinking about civil rights. And we're both sitting there like, man, wouldn't it be great if we can get Lily Ledbetter, uh, civil rights right. uh, icon for a women's pay? And she was like, well, maybe we can. And that like snack conversation became a $1,000 grant to bring right. her awesome. in via Zoom. So uh, that's uh, that's one of the reasons why the guys that I'm sitting across the table from, you got to listen to these guys because they will tell you, first of all, collaboration is key. Second of all, unlike many, many other educational institutions, OTC has a way, a path. Absolutely. For you to make those dreams realized. No, it's great. And something else I really enjoyed about it is then I I got introduced and started talking to you and, and meeting the other right. people that once we realized, oh, you got ideas, I got ideas, and right, I, right, you right. like talking about them, I like talking about them too, and then we just kind of build from there. One of the things that, that we had run back and forth was um, with the, the bringing in BR, um, we, we have several different centers uh, in different locations, and that's another way to think about how we might be able to build community and give right. students – uh, access to the different resources at each center and each other. Right? Absolutely. You can uh, link all of those together in a virtual environment. Like that's absolutely also one thing that kind of a pie in the sky plan. Imagine having a virtual layout of all of our campuses that you could then navigate on a computer. Like I think that would be pretty incredible. So before you even come to OTC, you can get a, a look and feel of the campus. So like when you show up that first day, when you park in one of our parking lots and you wander into a door, you kind of have an idea of where you need to go at that point because you have that contextual knowledge before even walking in our front doors i imagine that would be very common that'd be very useful primarily for the satellite campuses like waynesville and lebanon who already do a lot of stuff together absolutely yeah it'd be an interesting way to 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 bridge the geographical gap 100 percent so uh, I, I was going to ask you uh, uh, about um, one of the one of the things I like to find out about people is is if you have a hero or someone that inspires you. Would Socrates be the answer? Is there someone uh, else so you'd like to I, share with us? I like lists, so Socrates is definitely one of them. Uh, big fan of Sarah Connor from The Terminator. <laughs> nice. Uh, no fate but what you make. <laughs> definitely a, a great principle to live by. Um, Another square on my bingo card just got X'd. And just relentless, right? That Absolutely. Idea that unstopping, give never giving up, <laughs> that your future is what you determine it to be. So Sarah Connor is definitely one of them. Uh, yeah, I do love Socrates. He's just awesome, awesome guy. Uh, not knowing anything, corrupting the youth, like just absolutely incredible. Going getting out a, on your own terms. Getting a person to disagree with himself it was a big, was a big socrates thing Absolutely. the socratic method yeah again i have this admiration for him but i've 
I were to interact with Socrates, he would probably be the most annoying person yeah. on the face of the planet. <laughs> Never meet your heroes. Like, he right? would be the worst internet troll. He would be. Like, it just unrelentless. Yep. Yeah, th- those, are, those are two folks I, I really enjoy. Uh, mentioned my wife, Chelsea. She definitely legitimizes me. Uh, it is funny, I, like, whenever we are together, people are like, oh, hey, that's, you're, you're involved with one another. Like, yes, we are, we are a couple. And then they're like, you are less weird now. Yeah. <laughs> 100% happens every, I think every time. Chelsea's probably a hero for just about everybody on campus that knows the work she's done. Right. And the degree of, I mean, radical success that mm-hmm. she's had. We have built entire parts of our advising system based on the stuff she has done. Right. Uh, it's just worth uh, uh, getting an opportunity to cross paths with Chelsea. I'd recommend it. Well, we need to bring her on the podcast. Obviously. 100%. We you know what? Not bad idea because just I would love to crack that nut a little bit Absolutely. and see how how that came to be because right. her so success rates were – I'd never heard of them. Not a ton of folk realize the work that is involved with it. It's student navigating, so they show folks around. There's a lot – a lot that goes into it. So yeah. having that perspective, granting the, the folks that knowledge would be pretty good. It's just, you know, when you write on paper the stuff that she's, and I I hope you don't mind us talking Not about her this much, but when you write on paper the stuff that she's responsible for, you think to yourself, yeah, it probably is helpful. But the way that she ended up enacting it made it, I mean, critical to the, I, I just can't say enough about right. what she it's, accomplished. It kind of to talk back to collaboration uh, and perspective even. So uh, talking about whenever you're talking about your ideas and then you see the person's lights, their eyes light up across the table. It's funny because we, the idea holders, think that it's obvious. But then when we share them, like, oh, wait a second. It's obvious to me because that's my perspective. And then when you collaborate, you bring in all these other perspectives and then you you get to see those those lights in your your head moment where it's like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. And it's so obvious. Why didn't I think of it? It's because that's not not your perspective. Is that how you would describe, Jared, your process going through the the uh, grant process? The uh... absolutely. And to add to that, too, that. You know, once someone else has an understanding about your idea, they bring their own perspective to it. And then there's things that you hadn't even thought of. Absolutely. Right. That either, you know, expanded even further or help you to think of it, uh, you know, as, as as a way to help others even more right like figured out well how does it affect these other people in ways that i i would have never thought of, right? very fitting it's the grayson podcast where we get big into collaboration because that's i mean that's your job yeah that's, that's like collaborate part of what one of the things that i i i love and what i do mm-hmm. uh, part of my major really stressed the fundamentals of collaboration uh so i did mention it was electronic media production so like making a film making an album you need this pretty massive team of very specific skills that you then have to orchestrate and collaborate and get it all all together to accomplish and you have all these people working on such a small piece of the puzzle that they might not necessarily know how it fits in uh so that being that person that pieces all those puzzles together that's great it's amazing how you know as much as we want to plan for for our future when you're we're young right we don't always see how the how the the pieces and things come together to make you know, what our final real passion ends up being, right? Absolutely, and how they add to it. Right. Yeah. No, I think that is a fascinating, because I think that's, that's truly what education is, working in, in higher education. It's, it's not those specific things that you learn in each class. It's the, it's the process of learning is what you're actually learning in education. Learning to be a learner. Learning to be a learner, precisely. Because so many of the things that I went to school for in college no longer relevant we are like i learned a lot on analog devices analog devices aren't a thing anymore like that's not an important yeah. skill for me to have i took typing class on a digital typewriter absolutely right? <laughs> like all, we're and typing class isn't even a thing anymore because kids are just so they've already learned to type absolutely. just through experience so, yeah they right? probably don't offer keyboarding i don't think they do thing? like it's we just, were talking about this the other day it's like a uh an, an innate thing that we know now because we are so so exposed to it uh, but no, the, so many things that we learn in school are irrelevant by the time we graduate, but it's learning how to learn. Uh, one thing that I've kind of found interesting about working in IT, I don't store knowledge anymore. I store where to find that knowledge. Uh, like Pythagorean's theorem. Sure, I have the little jingle that I could remember it, but I can also go to Google and type in Pythagorean theorem and get m- that knowledge just as fast without wasting the space in my brain to store it. There, there's a Pythagorean jingle? Uh, is it minus B, plus or minus? 
Square root. What's of the square? jingle for? So that is uh, the quadratic. Quadratic. Equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they said quadratic jingle. See, so as a mnemonic vice, they set it to a tune. I can't. I, I that was after my time, but <laughs> I, my students do it all the time. I can't, I think it's. Is it Farajaka? Yeah, I think it's Farajaka. Is it? Because yeah. <laughs> it's negative so, yeah, see, B plus or minus a square root of B squared like I said, minus four C over two A. I don't store I don't that knowledge that. anymore because <laughs> I can go find it. On sure, sure. Some someplace else because it's the times that I need to use it are kind of few and far between. Uh, but every now and again, I need to know what the hypotenuse is. So it happens. Fantastic. Um, so as a listener of the podcast, I'm sure you've, something tells me you've really thought about this next one. <laughs> Gumby versus Mr. Ed, battle to the have, death. I have been. Who wins and why? Many late nights thinking about what, what Keeps my me up too. answer is going to be. So uh, I'm going to have to say Gumby. There is something about stop motion. To me, if, if we're like real life, we, cl- we click the button, Gumby's real, talking horse is real. Gumby being able to operate at like 12 frames per second is going to be so otherworldly, a horse person will not know what to do. Uh, Meaning so, that he is operating too quickly for Mr. Uh, Ed to react? It's going to be, yeah, pretty much. He will be in one spot and then will be like three feet in front of him in the next spot. Every 12 frames moves <laughs> closer and closer to him. It, He's a time demon, exactly. essentially, is what you're it, suggesting. 100%. Mr. Ed will never be able to pick up on his true location. You make points I can't dispute. Right. That I is also, a... You've shown your math on that. <laughs> right. Well and done. Hats as, off. As a, few, as a true technology fan and wizard, I don't like horses. There's motors that exist to do horse work. <laughs> Is that a real like? That's a real. Those are in diametric. Th- that is opposition. a personal philosophy of of myself. I do not like. Is horses. that an industry wide yeah, stereotype? There, I, maybe uh, there could be. Maybe there's some tech folk out there that think that horses are all the rage. Oh uh, my goodness! Not me. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think back to uh, there's this great YouTube video called "Humans Need Not Apply," and it, it there's a really funny quote. Uh, at the turn of the century, when cars were de- being developed, horses didn't think, oh, there's going to be a lot of better jobs for us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing when we talk about um, power in physics, it, it comes from the term horsepower, horsepower, which came from how many horses how many you have on the front of the wagon, right? Yeah, I, I get it. It's, these things will probably never, ever be able to get away from because I doubt people are going to start using jewels or newtons those, sure, those sure. type of things to express that horsepower makes sense and what what an impossible to quantify which horse are you using that is a great point some of those horses are massive big, right? big old yeah. horses clydesdale you got the yeah. Lord of the rings horses like what do we know what exact problem <laughs> do we know exactly what a, is a horsepower an actual is uh, i mean what is it comparable at, to at the same time is, a, is it an actual horse Light is also measured in candlelights. It's, oh. <laughs> it's, 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 it's uh, energy expended over time. Right. Okay. All right. Is it similar to a horse? Well, the idea is, is, is you're, if you have more horses, you're going to do more work in the same amount of time. All right. right. Does there also exist a measurement for calories the horses have to burn to get a horsepower? I don't know. That's a great question. Right, they, I, 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 you're starting to win me over on this. Maybe horses are the problem. I, two of my kind of I have weird fascinations with certain words that describe units of measurement, because mm-hmm. horsepower. You know, we talk about eating peppers like Scoville, Scoville. units, mm-hmm. and I also am fascinated by what you call groups of certain animals, like oh, murders God, of crows right. and. You know, stuff like that. Pods of dolphins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. Pools of fish. And- yes, I don't. I don't understand why that is the way that it is. And maybe it's just like an old English, like why can't we just call them all groups? Like it, there is it, a it does sound very old sailory. Right. Like that's ah, a murder of crows. <laughs> right. Like well, again, the purpose. I don't understand the purpose for it, so maybe it's lost on me. Uh but it is a cool like little English thing that yeah. a murder of crows is And maybe it's really personal, like in your situation you might have named it a useless of horses. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. Uh, is it like a majestic of seahorses or like a, a, a flamboyant of flamingos or something? Like, hey like, man, what, what is this? <laughs> I'm still, which horse are you using to get the horsepower? <laughs> so uh, let's get into the big question because this is going to take some time too. Um, so uh, 
imagine our listener that barely even turns on mm-hmm. a computer in the day. Yep. Help us understand what an NFT is. Right. You did pick the topic at the very end of the flowchart. Uh, there's a lot of things that we get we need to ramp up to get to NFT. Uh, so NFT means non-fungible uh, token. Fungible means this is the only one. This is the cert- certificate of authentic- authenticity, if you will. Uh, that is what non-fungible token truly means. What that is, is it is a representation of some type of digital asset, so be it picture, podcast, uh, some type of digital one and zero, into a blockchain. So a blockchain is a very long string of numbers that is basically as a byproduct of encryption. A blockchain includes um, its own information. So let's say the blockchain has a name. Uh, there is a transaction date and time and user. All of that information is used to make the next chain link. So it continues to grow as you get more and more complex. The reason why it is so secure is because you need so many pieces of the puzzle to see what it actually is that it is very intentional that you are the only one that has access to that blockchain. All right. So dumb guy questions. Some of this is Greek to me. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're talking about the Mona Lisa. We are not talking about photocopies of the Mona Lisa. 100%. So when you put Mona Lisa on the chain, what's happening here? Can you metaphor this for the dummies like myself? So if we were to make an NFT of the Mona Lisa, so the Mona Lisa, the one over in Paris in the Louvre, that is the NFT. That is the, the one, the only that exists. However, we all know there's many digital representations of that all over the planet. We know that the one that we have access to in the Louvre, they have, let's say, a barcode on the back of it. That barcode is the blockchain that defines this as the one. Okay. Uh, all the other ones that exist in the world, they do not have that barcode that says this is the one. Uh, it, it's interesting. So we talk about Mona Lisa. That does have a value attached to it because it's the only one. It has this historical context. But let's talk, for example, uh, do you guys know what Nyan Cat is? Have you seen the gift? Yes. yes. Perfect. So Nyan Cat's the little cat rainbow shooting out of it. It runs on forever. It's By the way, its torso is a Pop-Tart. You're missing there, the most. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> There's a thousand things about it. Uh, so that has recently been converted to NFT and sold for tons and tons of money. We can all still send Nyan Cat to all of our friends. It's not that we no longer have access to that. There is one person out there that has access to the Nyan Cat uh, because they tied its value to the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum has its own value. Now Nyan Cat has its own value because it has been attached to that blockchain. So the original Nyan Cat, are we saying that right? Yeah. I was, you know, N-Y-A-N. Nyan, because uh, that's the sound the cat makes in the song. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyways, so the, um, the, that would have value as opposed to you and me just emailing each other. 100%. Simply because, like the Mona Lisa, that was created by the person. Exactly. Kind of like uh, with trading cards, I can have an ungraded trading card in my possession, and its value is less than that of one that is professionally graded. Because they put the effort, put the time, put the money into having that graded, that now has more of a value because you have that that authenticity, that certification of this is truly representat- represented by this value that's attached to it. Okay. Would the original Nyan Cat have value as an NFT? No. Given that... It, so the, the fascinating thing about this is... So Nyan Cat, let's think of it as just ones and zeros. Right. That's all that it is. We convert those ones and zeros... So we convert those ones and zeros to like eight more ones and zeros for each one and zero that exist. That process is where it gains its value. Because we've encrypted it into the blockchain, it is now stored in a format that has a value. Kind of like if we were to take the Mona Lisa and make it out of US dollars. The the art itself had a price based on the dollars we cut up and pasted to it. Do those dollars still represent that value? kind of like it still exists there but the value of it being created as art is more than the value that you first invested into it it's a very weird topic so part of why these are so relevant now and 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 what they're really i think they're the value lies in is that they're giving the idea of copyright 
back to artists. 100%. So, um, and I want to, I want to, um, clarify too, when you're using that example of the, of the Mona Lisa, all of all NFTs are of a digital format. Yes. And so one of the issues that has come up for, for artists and people that create things suddenly everything's accessible. You can find it wherever you want. And then, so there's, there's to some extent, they lose their ability to, Absolutely. to earn the value off of their creation. They no longer possess the thing that they've created. They've released it out into the wild and now anybody can go grab it. And so this is, and so I, I, I would preface my, my, uh, uh, sister-in-law teaches, uh, graphic arts at um, the Tex- at Texas Women College in Denton. And she wanted me to specifically ask you about this because okay. she listens to the podcast, Lo Shelley. Uh, um, and one of the things she, she, she's discussing this with her um, students as well is the idea of, of how does it offer copyright? Hmm, that's a good question. Or how does it compare how to, to, how does it a compare to copyright? copyright? To me, copyright is a way... Hmm. Copyright is a law, uh, so it gives you the ability to go after someone that has stolen your product. So if someone has broken your copyright, you have that copyright on your thing, so you can then go pursue legal ramifications because you have a copyright. What an NFT does, rather than make it a copyright across all of your product, there is one specific one that has the value. So like if you were to convert a digital media into an NFT, you can only sell that once. It, you sell it once as the lump sum, uh, then that next person can sell it once, next person can sell it once, and so on. Uh, so again, it's more of a way to say, this one thing belongs to me, than it is a way to protect you from getting your things stolen, if you will. Uh, an NFT makes it so no one can really steal it from you unless you give it to them. Whereas copyright, anybody can steal it from you, but then you were allowed to go and seek legal ramifications afterwards. So a copyright, well, first of all, I, you know, we're well aware of copyrights because that's the world we've grown up in, but that allows you recourse. Absolutely. There's a recourse. That, that's literally the only thing But you're suggesting does. not recourse in the NFT world. N- not necessarily. So technically, someone could steal an NFT from you if they were able to determine the many, many, many numbers that it takes to compose that NFT, hmm. they could steal that from you. Uh, there are people out there in the crypto world that say the only secure wallet is crypto wallet is the one that you write down on a piece of paper. Hmm. Uh, because that way you are the only person that knows what that wallet number is. When you, sh- when you have a digital wallet, any of those things, there does exist the possibility that they become an evil overlord and steal all your money. We've seen that zero times happen. Uh, so it is maybe something to prep for if you're one of those folks. Uh, but at the end of the day, those bit, Bitcoin wallets, crypto wallets, they're not. They're looking to make money off of you. They're not looking to steal your money. Let, let's make the connection here f- for the listeners. Um, so with the crypto wallet, that's where you're holding uh, uh, not only Bitcoin, but NFT, because there's a connection here between the two. So Absolutely. when we're talking about this blockchain um, technology, can you tell us a little bit about um, how uh, how cr- the connection between blockchain and cryptocurrency and NFTs? Absolutely. So a cryptocurrency is a blockchain. An NFT is a blockchain. Blockchain is essentially the generic term. It's the Kmart brand of, of cryptography, if you will. Uh, like you said, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, XRP, all of the different ones, they have a certain protocol in their encryption. That's why there exist so many different cryptocurrencies. They said, this is my secret sauce to get this thing encrypted, and it is secure in all of these laundry list of ways, or it improves transactions across the, these tiny little minor changes that each company makes. Um, so the blockchain exists. There's many types of blockchains, Bitcoin, NFT, those are specific types of blockchain. Weird thing about NFTs, NFTs also kind of a generic term. An NFT could be on the Ethereum blockchain, or it could be on the Bitcoin blockchain, or any of those other blockchains that exist. Um, so your NFT and your uh, blockchain, those are your generic terms. Crypt, uh, Bitcoin, those tend to be your very specific terms. And so um, I... The analogy that that helped me kind of understand first Bitcoin 
uh, and cryptocurrency, which then uh, kind of leads into what this blockchain is, is that it's essentially thinking about that if you think about money, right, then what we're doing is we're agreeing that there is a certain value to it and we keep track of who has it, right? Because nowadays 100%. I don't carry cash in my pocket. Absolutely. I've got a number in a bank account. The bank says, yep, you've got this many numbers. And then sometimes I give people some of those numbers and my numbers Absolutely. go down, right? So that bank is holding the ledger, 100%. right? They're saying this is the amount of numbers that you have. Right, right. Uh, with Bitcoin, the idea is that the ledger isn't in one place. 100%. Uh, instead, it's broken up into pieces and it's stored on different people's servers. Absolutely. And those people that uh, agree to hold that information make more cryptocurrency for holding it. And that's what mining is called? That is what mining is called. Which, uh, so uh, en encryption is a byproduct of computing. When we log into something, our passwords are stored encrypted which is a type of blockchain. What mining does, mining scours the internet, all of the data that exists that it has access to to find those hexes of, of the blockchain. So hex is an individual number in the blockchain. It finds these little hexes, hash, hash is the better term for it. So it finds these hashes of data. It says, okay, it is on this computer, this node, and then mining is combining all of those hashes into one blockchain. So basically, you're doing the work of connecting all the, the dots to have the full value of the thing. So it's basically like cutting up your dollar bill into multiple pieces, storing it throughout your yard and property. And then whenever you want to go spend it, you have to take the time to link it all back together. Whereas now that we have a digital world, that happens in an instant and I don't have to go dig up like six different holes in my backyard. And so essentially then with an NFT... We take a digital file like, say, I don't know, maybe a podcast. Right. And we take that MP4 file, we turn it into, we, we basically exchange it uh, on like the Ethereum uh, market mm -hmm. and it becomes coded in into blockchain. the blockchain. 100%. And then that is split up and da da da. And whoever owns it is able to access, access it whenever they want. Whenever they want. And again, that doesn't restrict other people's access to it. It's just that one person has access to the one. The original, the original, the, the bee's knees, the one that is the best, uh, first edition, all that, all that good stuff. How are we doing, Andrew? Uh, is there a test after this? <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you making it very user friendly. It's, for it's such a dense topic. What's, it is dense. What's fascinating is Jared did bring up the point that this conversation always gets to: why does it have value? Why does anything have value? You it, know, I, as humans, I've cut back to that several times. Mm -hmm. But you could ask the same thing of if I painted an exact replica of the Mona Lisa. Well, that's not fair because I'm putting effort into it. If I photocopied like a fantastic mm -hmm. photocopy, why wouldn't that be worth as much as the Mona Lisa? When it comes to the Mona Lisa, it has value not just because of its artistic quality, but because we recognize the unique efforts Absolutely. that went into it. And you're, you're suggesting that's the digital version. That of is it. the digital version. Yeah. We even have like... So gold's kind of a bad example because there is a finite amount of gold that exists on our planet. That's scarcity. That type of thing has value. But let's look at something like, let's say diamonds. Diamonds are a little more abundant, and that is more of a restricted market is why it has value. They don't release as many diamonds into the world, so they can say the, the price is very high. We, we, we as to humans, a certain degree, the same with oil? Same, exact same thing. So like we tend to, as humans, we attach these values to things and we accept it as the way of the world. But then when we start to think critically about the world, we have these questions like, why, why does this thing cost this amount? I know that the iPhone is made out of relatively cheap aluminum. Uh, there is a silicone shortage right now. But all of the parts and pieces at the end of the day aren't $1,000. Uh, the research and development isn't $1,000. That's just a step-up version from the last model. But again, we still have this value to it because we accept that value. And I think that's where a lot of uh, crypto does – the idea that it's, it's going to be the encryption of the future, I think, is why it has a certain value right now. It could be a bubble that pops. I don't think so, though, just because encryption is the future. Uh, and I think that we're going to find more and more ways to encrypt things even better as time goes by. And there is scarcity built into that market, if I'm correct, because there's only a certain number of coins. One, one, Bitcoin has a very finite value. Uh, I think that they're suggesting by the end of this decade, all of Bitcoin will be mined 100%. 
but then you have coins like Dogecoin, and the amount of Dogecoin being mined every day is comparable to all of the Bitcoin that exists in the history of Bitcoin. I didn't know that. Right. Oh, so, so Dogecoin has this value, and it's not necessarily scarcity. It has a cult following, and that is where it gets its value. You have all these people that continue to throw money at it, so it's continuing to inch that, that price up and up. I remember when Dogecoin was like sub-pennies. Like it was under under a penny. It was yeah, like, that's real interesting because that actually ties into some with stock as well. Absolutely. Because um, – <clears throat> and I saw – I would see that as an outsider looking in at Bitcoin as inherently unstable. Because if like Elon Musk tweets something about Bitcoin, it shoots up. Absolutely. If he, uh, you know – tarnishes it on Twitter, it goes down. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's not related, but that's in a way what that, we're talking about. That's that, the that's the nature of what we're talking that about. That is the nature. And it's very similar to the stock market that it fluctuates like the stock market. If you have what's called pump and dumps, people with lots of money dump tons of money into it and increases the value, then they sell all of their profit because when you're able to put in ten million dollars worth of Bitcoin, a five percent profit is pretty good. Uh, so they're able to do things like that because they have they have the means to manipulate the market. I guess that's not the best term. They have the means to affect the market. They are what we call, or what I've seen called, from the what was the dust up the last dust um, Robin Hood. Yeah, they, yeah. They are what we call whales. They, they are the whales. They are the whales, <laughs> and you you hunt for the whales. You want to, to talk about great terminology? That is an awesome term, right? Don't be a bag holder. Be a whale. Be a whale. So. Um, Help me out here, Andrew, because this is a history thing. Uh, if I remember an example of what you were talking about in terms of how we put value on things and how important that is, uh, this is about how important that is to uh, uh, the economy overall. Was it the Dutch used to have tulips decide as their currency and someone went, wait a minute, that's a tulip? And then it all fell apart. Oh, we need to phone uh, a friend. Where's Greg French when you need I'm him? Somewhere around there, right? Like something happened where instead of like gold backing the dollar, something had to do with their monetary system being based on tulips. And then one day someone's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then everything crashed. We're going to need a, we, we need to address this at the beginning this of our next be, episode. Up? Yeah. Okay. See, the, the key to I messed up is when you mess up, mess up right in the face of the person that knows better. When we had an episode with Matt Simpson where I completely got the funding sourcing wrong, but I said it to his face, right. and he corrected me in real time. That's how you're wrong. My, that's how to be wrong, my friend. <laughs> so we'll come back to that one. I'm pretty sure, like, I've heard that story since I was a kid, right? That's kind of how you're introduced the idea of, somebody of understanding it. money and understanding um, economies. So um, this is this is one where you know it, it would be great if if we kind of ahead of time I should have asked you know more what questions do people have? What I will bring up though is a, another question that's kind of come up is that there are environmental concerns that have been raised um, where because the blockchain is stored on equipment that uses energy. Absolutely, there's an argument that this system uses energy in a way that um, is detrimental. Absolutely. So, so, tell us a little bit about In it. what and, way? Uh, so it's not, there does exist, it does take electricity, which electricity is most likely made from coal right now, so that causes pollution. I think the bigger issue right mm, now I see. Is, can, is what I see as the issue. Again, to me, that, that issue, the issue of pollution is a societal problem. It's not related to Bitcoin, any of that. Uh, I think the true issue, the true environmental problems is right now to mine Bitcoin, you need a very powerful computer uh, server type setup that uses silicone, uses these very hard to mine resources. So we are mining tons and tons of silicone, doing terrible things to the environment to get gold printed circuit boards, all of those stuff. The byproduct that all of that mining creates is truly terrible for the environment. And there's other ways to accomplish it. And to me, that is why, that is the issue that I see. Uh, I think that eventually when we do have a more renewable energy source, that idea of using electricity as a bad thing, that won't exist for the next couple decades. So you had mentioned a moment ago that you see a way out of that. What would be the way out of that? Uh, is it as simple as just like 
what Springfield's doing, Springfield, the city of Springfield's been transitioning away more and more from fossil fuels. Right. Is that is that is it as simple as that, or are there right. moving it, pieces I'm not seeing? It's that's a way to do it. There still exists the mining the resources to make circuit boards is pretty terrible. There the the factories that make all of that put in tons of pollution. There's really really terrible chemicals that they have to use, like. For instance, a printed circuit board is most likely gold on a circuit board. And they use, like, it's like arsenic or cyanide to get it into a liquid form, and then they can print it onto a circuit board. Then they have these giant pools of arsenic or cyanide water. One of those resources, uh, one of those elements melts down gold. So then they have these giant pools that they have to deal with. It creates all this industrial waste that then has to be buried, managed, all of that stuff. So to me, it's the manufacturing side of the house that is what's making the the most uh, issues for the environment. And what's the yellow brick road out of it? Uh, solution to that. Uh, there's not a good one because r- right now so many people are buying these video cards. You can't go find a video card. All of, all of my coworkers are wanting to upgrade their PCs. They can't right now because video cards are in short supply. And right now they're being bought by Bitcoin miners that don't intend to build a real computer. They just intend to use that video card for a certain purpose. Um, so as circuit boards start to get smaller and smaller, that's just the, is it uh, Ohm's law that circuit boards cut in half every, you go Google it, whatever cuts circuit boards in half every six months, that's the law we're looking at. Uh, so, so that we will have less and less material that we need to use. But again, it's more of finding uh renewable ways to manufacture these items and then also rather than throwing away your old graphics cards trying to repurpose that's kind of one thing as the newest graphics cards come out they sell them throw them away do whatever Uh, also those graphics cards get quite a bit of wear and tear on them so they have a, a lesser lifespan i'm not sure there's not really a good way out of that the manufacturing side of house I do think maybe in like 15 years when quantum computing is more prevalent, I think that will be huge for blockchain encryption, all of that stuff, because it makes it makes encryption happen so much quicker. Uh, quantum computing uses three phases rather than two phases to determine. So you have a, an unknown variable that you can say it is yes and no at the same time. You think that's 15 years out? That's a pretty conservative one. I honestly think that probably in the next five years, we'll see more and more uses for them. And I would say by the end of this decade, we'll have more quantum computing out in the wild. I agree 100%. I mean, and, and with quantum computing, it's it's not going to replace our PC, no. right? Because yeah. we, don't, we, don't we don't need have the that yeah. power, uh, you know, in our daily lives. But that's, that's the next big that step. That is. And it's... Quantum computing allows you uh, to take, like, our terminal rooms. We have tons and tons of equipment in there. You can reduce that into a single piece of equipment because it can process so much quicker and more efficient than using two phases. So when I say two phases, uh, that's uh, that one or zero I mentioned earlier. Quantum computers introduce a one or zero phase. So you have a yes and a no and then a maybe. I, I like your, your answer to the question about the environmental issue, too, because I think it points out something that we kind of – this error in logic that we often see that, that, that proposes, oh, well, the problem is this, this, this thing, but it ignores that, this, that that thing, like in this case right. Bitcoin, is just kind of showing what right. the real root issue yeah, if, is, right? If, if the world outlawed cryptocurrency tomorrow – manufacturing would still make tons of waste and we would still be pumping coal into the environment. It's like someone, you know, sitting there smashing their thumb with the hammer and going, the problem here is my thumb hurts. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, well, if you had stopped smashing it with a hammer, it probably wouldn't work. Right. It hurt, so, right? If, if, I, if I can put on my tinfoil for a moment, I think that argument to me was put out there by people that fear cryptocurrency. It to me, When I first heard it, I was like, this just doesn't make any sense to me because like like we talked about this is an issue regardless of if cryptocurrency is a thing but then i started to see it gain traction and places are reporting on it it's like this seems to be being stoked by someone with a motive um don't know maybe it is maybe it's not but again with crypto being decentralized banks should be worried because why would we use banks if we can use everybody uh investment firms stock markets all of these things 
it is a true disruptive innovator, and I think that we're seeing some maybe ripples of what will be to come. What do you think, Andrew? Uh, I I think, first of all, we don't do enough tinfoil hat wearing well, in these I, conversations. And uh, I don't know. I, we, as you talk about that, my palms get sweaty. Right? A little bit, yeah. Because it's, it's one of those... It's about perspective. When you kind of look at it from that perspective, you kind of start to think about things critically and wonder, why are we being told this? Because logically, it's not make like we just debunked it in a few moments when we t- talked about it f- deeper. But then when we have that that knee jerk reaction to, well, this is a bad thing right now, we kind of run with our emotion and kind of go forward from there. I do have a uh, <laughs> a saying myself in the history of everything that's awesome there was a period of time where it sucked there was a period of time where it didn't work very well right and then over time i mean we kind of had that attitude with uh, electric cars for a while it was like okay this electric car is a little box that can barely mm-hmm. now it's great right it's fastest car right fastest so, com- commercial car you right so i i do think that time can you know that the, the arc of history can bend towards effectiveness on this absolutely but, um that doesn't mean that in the meantime the uncertainty can't drive you wild Right. And then you do have like countries like China is trying to, to ban Bitcoin, blockchain, those types of things. So that's I think that's going to be a hurdle that cryptocurrency that, is going to I would imagine overcome. that's because China cares more about the centralization and they're opposed to the decentralization. Yes, they are opposed to the decentralization of I imagine of not their, as worried about the environmental stuff. No, yeah. no not at all. Because, <laughs> again, at the same time, China is probably the leading Bitcoin farmers right now. They have they have warehouses, skyscrapers filled with servers that have graphics cards that are just mining all day long. <laughs> and yeah, so I mean, you know, that discussion became about you know a paradigm shift, right? Right, absolutely. And throughout history, you know, you see when you, you know paradigm shifts don't happen without contest or struggle. Absolutely, uh, and I think it was. Heisenberg or one of the one of the founders of quantum mechanics as we shifted from the classical model into the quantum um, Einstein always really argued with it because he because because he said God doesn't play dice with the universe and he had this really hard time thinking of mo- moving into the issues of quantum mechanics which we won't get into my point was uh, a, a good quote that another good quote that came um, from that. Uh, uh, discussion of paradigm shift was that um, ideas don't change because of their validity. More often, the old die and the youth are indoctrinated. <laughs> I, I may have said I don't want that to sound harsh. I think the idea there is it is is that the, oftentimes you know transition doesn't always take place from one person going I don't think this way anymore. I think this way. Right. Instead. You know, these paradigm shifts come generationally. Absolutely, right? as 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 the youth take over, as the new generation takes over, and, and starts making decisions. The times are a changing, as somebody once said. <laughs> That's going to be interesting to see. With as many ways as OTC branches out, with like emergency response now, and we'll be training public officers and micro. Uh, uh, printing and such like that i'm sure it's a matter of time before we get oh we got a little data mining extension over in our republic campus or something right. and it's i've always been kind of interested in setting up like a little coin like a little coin farm just to have the knowledge of how to do it not to make any money just i like doing i like setting things up and seeing how oh. they operate you heard it here first folks the next grant the next student college success grant being born right on this podcast, I'm sure, from uh, Mr. Grayson Forsey. You're, you're working with, you know, with a department that's much more computer literate. Mm-hmm. Is, is this a common discussion that you hear among peers and colleagues? Or? Not so. Like, as, from a uh, like an industry standpoint, rather than encrypt your own data and store it here on premises, it is much better to have uh, a third party hold on to that. So they then have 100% of the focus on keeping that data secure, keeping that data encrypted. And then you also don't have the physical space requirements on your premises to store that. Uh, so like web servers that exist, that is kind of the best way to secure your data. Have, have someone else hold on to it. Like I know that's a terrible way to say that, but just like I don't wanna keep my money in my mattress, I take it to a bank because I know that they pay money for a vault, they pay money for security, they keep the cameras on, they keep all of that stuff secure because 
that is their primary focus. Whereas, and, and not for nothing, they also insure it. Absolutely. So, and, if something does happen, there is someone's head that could roll because of your data getting lost. So, it, to me, that's that's the better way. Rather than encrypt all of your stuff and hold on to it, because then you have to share this chain to all of the people that need it, or the the key, if you will, to all the people that need it. And again, if you're doing it right, that key changes like every sixty seconds. So then you you make this hurdle for your users to jump over and things are no longer about the user experience and it's about com- protecting your data. To me, I would rather have someone else protect the data and then we can focus on the user experience. Hmm. So then for full circle, again, collaboration, mm-hmm. right? This idea of decentralization is about people working together, right? And right. so, you know, uh, when, we, when we think about uh, working together, um, and as you said, you don't store everything in your head, right? You know where to go. You know, you know where that data is parsed out. Kind of fascinating thing about like server space. I don't know if this is true anymore, but it, it was a few years ago. Kraft was making more money selling server space in their underground bunker than and it macaroni was and cheese? than it was macaroni and cheese. Are you kidding me? Because mm-hmm. they have the huge underground warehouse that has it like sixty degrees, so they don't have to pay as much to keep things cooled. So it they are able to sell server space. <laughs> that that is, might not be true anymore, but that was. That is genius. outside the blue box. Absolutely. That is genius. <laughs> <laughs> took a minute. Oh, man. Uh, fantastic. And like I said, one of the reasons I was excited about this episode, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going with another one of my wild ideas. So uh, I, uh, I, like you, I am a project-based learner, right? Like if I want to figure something out, I get my hands dirty, I make mistakes. So uh, I am turning this episode into an NFT. Oh. And we are going to auction that NFT uh, and the money is all going to support um, uh, it's going directly to the OTC Foundation. Perfect. That's so great. I'm going to have to, um, after the episode's over, so if you're interested in this, and please do listen all the way to the end, and, and I'm going to, on the end, um, give you the information on where you can go to uh, bid. Um, now, uh, I understand, uh, uh, you know, th- this is this is new technology for a lot of people, um, and so um, I- I'm going to keep it, uh, The I'm not going to set a, an amount on the bid, what value you guys put into it, you put into it. But here, I want you to think about this. It's your chance not only to get involved in the NFT market, it's your chance to own a piece of OTC history. <laughs> That's right. The Absolutely. first ever OTC podcast, the first ever NFT of an OTC co- podcast, mm-hmm. you will be owning a piece of the OTC history and community in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. In the future, when we get that data mining tower set up right, and absolutely. name your name your campus location, people will think, "Where did it all come from?" And you will have the NFT. That's that's the receipts, the receipts on where it came from. I, I brought this idea to to Amy Bacon, who who heads the OTC Foundation, um, and she's very supportive. And 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 you'll you'll be able to find this information on the OTC Foundation site as well. But she also looked me in the eye very honestly and said. <laughs> You're going to be okay if it's just your mom that does this, right? <laughs> right. But I believe in this community right. and my podcast listeners. You are going to own a piece of history. We are going to create the value for you. Uh, uh, and, and, and at the end of the day, um, it is just an opportunity for us to learn more about yeah, NFTs about and how they work. 100%. And crypto has only gone up in price. Every single one of them has gone up in price. Again, that's gone from fractions of cents to still more fractions of cents. But again, profit's profit. Oh, thank so you. Thank stick you for around. The, thank you for the sales pitch, Gracie. That's great. Did a fantastic job. Yeah. So stick around to the to the to the very end after the intro after the uh, exit music, uh, uh, and um, I will give you specific information on where to go to bid on that NFT. Andrew, wow. Yeah. A, a action-packed episode. I feel like I have run a marathon. Blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, uh, all of the work that, that Grayson does here uh, uh, at OTC, uh, the VR headsets, the, the, uh, uh, the new um, open lab space. Uh, did you know that? I did not know that. I didn't know that either. And now you do. Thanks Thank so, you much. so much. Hello again, everyone. As promised, 
These are the instructions on where you can find this episode of Oh That's Cool as a non-fungible token that you can purchase and own for your very own a piece of OTC history. Uh, to do that, just go to opensea.io. That's the web address, O-P-E-N-S-E-A dot I-O. Once you're at OpenSea, you'll see a whole bunch of uh, possible uh, NFTs you can purchase. But to find ours, just search for Oh That's Cool, and you'll see episode six starring Grayson Forsey uh, as an option to purchase as your very own non-fungible token. Uh, so uh, uh, remember... All of the proceeds are going to help out the OTC Foundation, which means it's going to help students. So uh, please uh, 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 grab up that this very first opportunity to own a piece of OTC history and the Oh That School podcast history. Thank you so much.